This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Good Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. Halfway through the week. We have to do a whole week this week. That's a bit unusual. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but a good to... week it has been. But we've decided we're going to Queenstown for the weekend, so I'm going to be taking some of Friday off. So I do have to get some work done. Who are we introducing today? Um, Today it is my great pleasure to introduce someone who I consider actually to be a bit of a hero in our community. Martin Taylor is the uh, Transportation Manager at Whakatane District Council. Um, He also has um, something really special that he's doing outside of that work, but but also really related, which has uh, a new business called Pulse EV, um, which is obviously around uh, electrical, electric vehicle technology. But Martin's role at Whakatane District Council would be one of the most challenging, I think, in the country with the diverse places our roading network runs, with the um, incredible um, isolation of some of those places, of the um, extreme weather events that we have. It's just, Martin, if there was a challenge to have in roading, you've got it, really, eh? That would be fair to say. Uh, yeah, certainly not without its challenges. Um, there's not many days where you can uh, sit back with your feet on your desk and say, uh, not a heck of a lot to worry about today, uh, 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 which is a good thing. It's nice to be able to go to work and know that there's um, um, some something positive to uh, keep you interested and challenged ahead. So, Martin, how was your bubble life? Uh, It was interesting. Um, uh, Like all businesses, we all found ourselves suddenly having to uh, uh, adapt to a new environment. And a lot of people think councils uh, can be a little bit uh, bureaucratic and cumbersome um, and slow to change. But um, uh, a lot of councils and certainly ourselves um, uh, had to adapt very quickly and we all ended up dispersing um, over a period of uh, I think only two days, two, three days and and, uh, and the whole 200 of people from council essentially working from home. Um, so um, we uh, we all became our own bubbles and, and uh, learned what it was like to work with our spouses and, and uh, with cats and animals and other things that sort of interfere in the, the, the jug and the coffee being a little bit too um, handy sometimes for comfort, <laughs> um, but it was it was generally good. Um, but uh, you know, in the in the uh, roading space, of course, um, everybody stopped driving during that time. So um, so our activity uh, in in my work area certainly um, diminished quite considerably. Where the normally busy road spaces across the country became. Um, vacant uh, avenues. In fact, quite pleasurable to spend a bit of time on when we were able to get out and about. I presume that the not driving around meant that the the roads weren't getting damaged, by the traffic at least. Yeah, it's it's really, it's only the uh, the heavy trucks that damage um, roads. Uh, the, the, the light vehicles just, uh, you know, contribute pollution and, uh, and, and annoyance uh, with the congestion. Um, so, um, yeah, you're quite right. Uh, there wasn't that happening. But uh, the flip side of it, of course, is um, uh, vehicles on the road uh, have to fill up with fuel and, and have to uh, you have to pay registration and, and what have you for it. And, and that money that's collected by the government uh, in road user charges and 
registrations and, and uh, fuel taxes is what pays for the repairs to our roads every year. Um, so when the whole country stopped um, driving, uh, the revenue for those road repairs um, dried up. Uh, it wasn't immediately um, a problem because um, last year was funded from the previous year, but this, these uh, years going forward, um, I, I think a lot of councils and the government's going to uh, be faced with a few challenges about how they're going to be able to fund um, the normal road repairs uh, over the next uh, three years or so. On the day before the first lockdown ended, we were walking down the down the road on the, the hill behind us, down the middle of the road and waving at people who were also walking down the middle of the road. And it occurred to us that this was the only, our only chance to be able to do that. That come tomorrow we'll be we'll be, we'll be rushing around, filling up the roads with cars again, and we kind of had this hope that maybe we wouldn't, but we did. Yeah, uh, and and didn't we all um, uh, feel that real sense of surprised enjoyment um, when we were out and about on our bikes or walking the dog, and there were no cars around? Uh, you know, we're so used to. That, that busy uh, traffic environment that uh, it was really quite a unique experience for us, um, one that probably only our grandparents uh, could remember, harken back to in their day. Um, and uh, and we all sort of felt, wow, how can we capture this and 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 do something with it going forward? Um, um, so that, that seed was sort of sown with us all, but, um, you know, I have to say how very quickly we fell back into the routine of, jumping into our cars and, and traipsing off to work and joining the congested queue and um, um, going back to the same old, same old. Did the traffic patterns come back to, to normal? I mean, quite a lot of us are still working, not entirely from home, but I think that the working from home has increased. H- have you seen it on the roading network? No, not really. Um, there's just so many vehicles on the road and, and, and so many reasons why people are wanting to travel from A to B. Um, sure, there, there are a, a number of people who are, are working from home and, and, uh, and a number of businesses that are promoting that, and that's been a really positive thing. But um, it, it's, it's just not enough to make that real step change um, in congestion or, or in um, uh the, even the the um, polluting contribution that that vehicles unfortunately have into the atmosphere in this day and age, when we're thinking about global warming and the likes, um, there hasn't been a significant change in that. What is the scope of the the role of transportation manager? We're focusing on the roads, but and primarily cars, but it, I presume it's wider than that. Uh, not too much uh, with a council. It is primarily about managing. Um, a council's roading network. So, um, and historically, it's all been about um, making it safer for cars and and improving its capacity. So, as the vehicle fleet increases, as more people um, hit the roads on vehicles, we get more vehicles on the roads. So you're looking at increasing the number of roads that you have and the capacity of your roads. So that's historically how we've treated the management of the roading network. But um, uh, I. I, th- I think as a sector and as an industry and, and globally, people are realising that you just can't keep growing a network, um, that ultimately it ends up being, um, it's like like I guess um, I used to, as we talked about off air earlier, um, I'm uh, half the size that I used to be because of a gastric bypass that I had. I was increasing in weight and uh, and that was becoming unhealthy. And, it, and it's it's a little bit the same with the transport network. You can't keep growing and expect that it's going to uh, uh, continue to, to be healthy for uh, um, for the environment and for uh, for society. So, um, you know, things have to change. Let's take the first of your music choices. Actually, Mawera chose this one for you. Let's have Neil Young, Old Man. Why this one, Mawera? Um, well, I well, I said to Martin uh, we needed a couple of songs, and he suggested something by Neil Young and something by Chicago, and that is my favourite Neil Young song. And 
my grandfather passed away on Monday and it was a song that he really enjoyed as well. So um, thank you very much, Martin, for a song for my granddad. My pleasure. I've just, I don't know if you know, I'm, I'm just at the very end of my doctorate journey uh, and um, I've been looking at um, imagination and positivity and a whole bunch of other really cool things. But um, when I was thinking about this interview and thinking about your primary role in our community um, in, in the transportation space and then thinking about the processes that you go through, like if we have an extreme weather event and half of the road to Waikaremoana, washes into the river like how how do you approach the problem solving for for an event like that when when there's when you have got this task ahead of you what's the process your thought process that you sort of go through with that in your imagination I guess um well we're, we're often as uh, uncertain as anybody about how um how we're going to manage these spaces and um uh thankfully at the end of it we look back and and find that a little bit of experience and a, and a lot of help from a lot of other competent people around us has, has enabled us to um uh to to pull something together uh and and certainly um what we've found um, here in Fokatani is is that the district's full of really good resources, really good people. They've got a lot of skills, um, 
and you just need to find out about them and to be willing to tap into them and um, try um, working with people that you haven't worked with before and, and finding out their skills and and it's a two-way thing they haven't worked with you and are wondering what you're like as a boss and all that sort of stuff and um, during the the major storm events that we've had um, uh, that's I think been probably our success story where we've um, uh, been able to pull a whole bunch of contractors together um, working with us so it's not council doing anything it's really the contractors so it's the community itself that's that's working on the community infrastructure and um, another key component for us is uh, for the likes of working in those remote places where uh, you've got people that live and work in, and um, uh, play up there as well. And, and uh, But often, um, you know, they might not have all the employment opportunities that, that people um, down in the uh, larger centres have. And, and so um, we often encourage our contractors, if they're working in those areas, to see what they can do to... Um, pick up a few of the locals um, and give them some employment. And, and certainly that's um, um, that's something that we're um, particularly proud of uh, within our district uh, as we've worked through those larger storm events over the years. I've heard that um, in the community, and, uh, and I remember the first time I heard about that must have, it was maybe the flood before last up the hills, and... Um, and it really blew me away. I felt really proud that that sort of thinking is part of our community, that we enable opportunities for everybody. And um, and I hadn't heard about it in any other departments, but I heard about it from yours. And I congratulate you for that sort of innovative thinking and for that inclusive thinking. It's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we always get it right. And, and I know we definitely don't. And sometimes we, uh, we, we make a... Um, uh, you know, some substantial mistakes when we're working with the community. But, um, um, yeah, we, we certainly, with all the work that we do, um, you know, we do definitely try and have uh, the community's best interest at heart and, and, and that's that's our primary motivation. Um, and um, a yeah, fair chunk of the time, hopefully, we'll get it right. I think you do. <laughs> Thank you. Did you have shovel-ready projects that were shovel-ready after the after the lockdowns as part of the recovery plan? Yeah, well, with all of that money um, on offer, who wouldn't uh, say they've got shovel-ready projects? Um, and, and we certainly put our hand up and said, uh, yep, we're, we're absolutely... Because uh, we had all of our contractors who had to stop, uh, and so the uh, their revenue stream stopped coming in. They still had the guys they had to employ and, and keep on the books, and so the whole purpose of... Um, that extra money from the government was to allow the contractors to get working again quickly uh, and not only with their own workforces but to bring on other people into their workforce that might have lost their jobs through COVID. So um, we as a council um, uh, in a number of departments had three or four projects that uh, we uh, felt we could present as shovel ready and, um, um, and we were able to get uh, most of our uh, civil construction contractors back up and running again, and uh, and we're pretty pleased to um, say that uh, you know they were also able to employ. I think I'm actually not too sure. I think it might have been sort of thirty odd additional um, people who were otherwise um, unemployed. So, and that's on top of you know the significant workforce um, that they've been able to keep on as well. So, uh, we were pretty pleased to be able to support the local contractors um, through that time, uh, although um, probably we weren't quite as prepared uh, internally with our own staff resources to manage that, and, and it ended up being quite a stressful time for uh, my workers and my staff who were doing all of this extra work, and, and but also having to try and uh, fit in uh, our usual um, uh, road maintenance work program as well. So. Yeah, it was it was a it was a, an exciting time, a challenging time, um, but yeah, it was a little bit stressful as well. But uh, you know, I guess our stress wasn't anything like the stress of those who'd actually lost their jobs or uh, whose businesses were under threat. The biggest construction works around here that's been going on for years on both sides of the harbour are the cycleways. Do you have cycleway development happening? 
Uh, yeah, we do have, um, and we're, we're starting to see a little bit of it um, around the uh, town now. Um, we, we aren't as far forward as I'd really like us to um, to be, um, and other towns are certainly um, being able to invest uh, in infrastructure a lot quicker than us. Part of our issue is that we do have quite a high um, sort of um, low socioeconomic um, community, and um, you know, there's only so much you can you can rate a, a community before they start to feel the pinch. Um, and you know, so much of what we need to spend is on core infrastructure and and um, and, and things like cycleways has in the past been seen to be a little bit um, nice to have. Um, but th that whole landscape is changing because people are also realizing that um, you know community health is important and people being able to get out about and from COVID you know the, the experience that people had being able to get out and about being able to enjoy uh, riding the bike with the family where they've never ridden the bike before because they're a little bit nervous on the you know with the cars whizzing past and not being able to ride on footpaths um, in the COVID environment people could ride on the roads when there were no cars, they could even ride on the footpath who cared. Um, and so people were starting to um, get back into that. And you always used to bike to school as kids, didn't we? Um, and sort of realise that, hey, it's actually good for the mind, um, good for the health, good for the heart. Um, and so those are the reasons now that, that we're wanting to invest in that sort of infrastructure. And we've recently, as a council, gone through our three-yearly planning cycle, our long-term plan uh, cycle. Um, and uh, with that, we go out to the community and ask them where they want us to spend money. And um, quite overwhelmingly within Whakatane, um, while there's certainly that group of people um, and that uh, core desire that council looks after its, its core infrastructure, there's a, a significant um, groundswell of support also for um, building some of this new infrastructure so that we can actually enjoy um, getting out and about uh, with our families as well and enjoy that that, that road landscape uh, and a little bit of safety and comfort. So, yes, uh, the answer is yes, we are starting to roll out. And this uh, coming year, we're, um, we're investing a million dollars a year in new cycleway infrastructure across the town. That's just all really that's just going to, you know, give us wider footpaths in town. There's also the bigger opportunity to um, create cycle trails out beyond the town and out into the, um, the, the wider sort of rural community. And um, that's another exciting opportunity that we'd like to try and um, develop and um, um, find the potential for as well over the coming uh, 12 months or so. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā hi aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou Hope you all have stay beautiful stars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, this happen around this journey that we're on together and to be very rewarded, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's perfect, unique things better. Thank you. Now, as we know, the last more than a year has been such a time of revelation for us all. So many new skills have come forward. So many new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling have had to arise. And I know for all of us, we have learned to more readily move between our sense of personal reality and personal identity, our, our individual experience courses, completely unique for every single one of us, to a sense of our our oneness with all life on the planet that we're co-evolving within an infinite web. We are sharing this experience globally and I really hope that for you these strength, these abilities to move between a sense of separateness and a sense of our collective identity has been really helpful for you. I know that for me being part of the show and having these five minutes with you and hearing people's stories from around the whole world has really helped me. It's really enabled me to see things in quite different, new and inspiring ways and also to get a sense of the power of our shared realities and our personal realities and how they interact. 
of course for all of us the experience of being separate and for many of us having to be separate has been quite new and for me I have been living on my own for the last several months and it is a big shift when we are having to place ourselves in the center of our universe our experiential universe in quite a conscious way it it can cause some discombobulation and uncertainty and it can ideally cause increased energy and increased vitality because we are allowing ourselves to fully experience our own reality our own sense of being our own power our own consciousness our own awareness in that sense of separateness and sanctity uh, and i think that for all of us having these different modes of being we were able to go within and connect with our innermost self and draw strength and draw energy from that connection and also be able to move out in the world with a knowing of ourselves as the true director and true origin of experience and reality this is really empowering for us so i really hope that for you over the last several months you have enjoyed strengthening this connection with yourself and the ability to feel strongly connected with who you are as an individual whilst at the same time feeling a growing sense of connection with all other life and i really hope that for you more and more you're having opportunities to trust your own knowing trust your own power trust that you are your own son as our beautiful friend heather would say we are we are the light giver to ourselves we are the energizer to ourselves we are the true center of our universe so not in any egotistical way does this have to be acknowledged but the more we are connected with ourselves i think the more we can achieve so i really hope for you you're enjoying the deepening connection that this time of change has brought about for us all and i look forward to talking to you soon thank you you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with martin taylor People talk about thresholds in terms of how many people cycling or other alternative forms of transport would make a difference in terms of things like climate change. What would it take to make a difference in Fakatani? Um, it, yeah, it, it's an interesting question. I might just turn that around a little bit though, because. Um, um, Climate change, um, you know, it's a thing. Um, it's it's real. And I think as a community, most people now have come on board with that. Um, and, and with that, gaining that increased uh, understanding that while we might not see the significant impacts of it in our generation, our grandchildren are well and um, in, in our government's declared formally declared a climate emergency so basically allowing it to put in legislation to to deal with it so we've now got the carbon neutral act uh carbon zero act um which which has got targets in it um around having around the transport system uh contributing zero carbon emissions uh in the New Zealand atmosphere by 2050. So what does that mean? That essentially means no petrol and diesel vehicles in operation on our roads by 2050. So that's only 30 years away, um, which isn't really very far. So when you, when you think of car ownership, people generally sort of keep their cars for about 10 years or maybe 15 um, and, and trade them in. So, so you're talking about maybe two or three cycles of car ownership, people trading in and, and buying up new cars. And by that time, those three cycles, they're looking for everybody to be uh, largely operating an electric fleet. So it's not impossible, um, but it does require um, – quite some substantial change and, and really what I'd classify term as a, a paradigm shift in the way that we um, uh, look at how we transport ourselves around uh, because it's, it's actually the problems not just um, that vehicles contribute nearly 50% of our greenhouse gases into the atmosphere 
Um, and that's a good reason to switch from um, fossil fuel vehicles to electric. Um, but if we did that, we would still have the same number of vehicles on the road, and that's still in itself um, a problem. So um, that's got to go hand in hand with some other core changes that have got to happen over the same period of time. So it's kind of a double whammy um, shift that's got to occur. And that, that other shift is also going to be driven by technology, and it's, it's going to be a shift, um, and we're already starting to see it with Uber. So it's a shift from people owning their own car having it parked up in the garage for 95% of its life or in a car park downtown, taking up valuable space. Um, but that's another issue, Mariwa, isn't it, here locally? Um, but um, uh, so it's changing people's thought patterns around the, the precious, preciousness of owning a car um, to uh, perhaps thinking about... Um, uh, operating more in the Uber space, and already the millennial generation, um, our children, uh, are thinking differently in this space. Um, my son, for example, he doesn't has, have his license. He's he's uh, approaching thirty. Uh, doesn't tend to get his license. Doesn't feel he needs to get his license. He's quite happy using um, uh, other um, public transport options or, or Uber and the like. Um, and and of course, you know that generation is also faced with if they do spend money, if they are going to save some money, what do they want to try and save it for? Well, it's for the house, and that's becoming more and more out of reach. So to to try and save for a car and a house is, you know, it's a it's a bit of an impossibility. So more and more that generation is thinking we don't need cars. Um, and so whereas now we're all about car ownership, in the future, um, transportation is just going to be a service that's going to be delivered to us. And you'll ring up and say, you know, I want a, um, an Uber, as you can now, um, but it'll be at your door um, in, you know, quick time um, before you have time to sort of um, get yourself together and and, um, and it'll take you to where you want to go and you'll, you'll pay for it. And yes, you'll pay for it. So if we look at how much we invest totally in, in the car with um, the, the cost of the the car that we pay for up front and the, the, the cost of fuel and licensing and registration, insurance, all of those costs, and you divide that by the amount of time we actually use it, it ends up being per kilometre or per hour that we use it, uh, um, probably more one of the most expensive um, uses of our, of, our, uh, of our money. So um, in the future, demand, Uber services, um, a responsive transport system is, is going to be something that people will use more and more uh, and they'll, they'll find it, um, you know, they'll probably have more money in their pocket in the long run uh, than what we do have now. So so that's going to be a bit of a step change. And and on top of that as well, um, for those who, um, who like uh, technology, uh, there's going to be the introduction of driverless um, Uber vehicles, uh, and we all freak out about that a little bit at the moment. Nobody at the wheel. Um, but already in Norway, they've got a driverless bus service uh, that's that's in operation. Um, so that technology is already in use in the public realm. Uh, and, um, and and a lot of the, the big car companies uh, and uh, countries are investing billions of dollars in that technology. So that's going to be rolled out as part of the uh, electric uh, revolution over the next decade or so as well. So it's it's a decade of change and it's going to be really exciting. Let's sneak in the second of, I was going to say your music choices, but it's kind of a hybrid of, of your music choices, yours and Mawera's. You wanted Chicago. Mawera chose, does anybody know what time it is? Why this one, Mawera? Well, it was sort of a, a thought process. I was looking through Chicago songs and I've always enjoyed Chicago. And then I started thinking about what time is it really? And that uh, leads me to the doomsday clock and we're 100 seconds to midnight, according to some really clever people. But then I thought, well, then you've got people like Martin with his new business who are actually doing things that are going to slow that down and give us some more time. So that was the point of that song. It was really around the title and my funny thought process.
And we've seen lots of changes in society over the last year. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Um, I, um, well, I think, um, well, there's a number of things that, that are even outside of the transportation space. Um, I, I think we're, we're going to become increasingly more environmentally um, savvy and, and, and aware and, and our environmental conscience is going to grow individually and collectively um, and that's going to be beneficial for um, the planet. I, I think uh, as a community um, we, uh, we're going to grow and mature uh, in our multicultural relationship um, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to, to seeing how that develops over time and it's still very young and it's still got a lot of um, fractures and uh, fractious points around uh, the edges but but I think there's a lot of hope there that's held uh, on both sides for some really good things to come out of that um, and the other areas in the area that's sort of close to um, my uh, profession it's in the transport area and um, I, I, I just think that um, the, the changes that are going to happen to the way that we um, move around about the community are, are going to be um, one of those significant step changes um, that we're going to look back on our lifetime and say that was a really significant period in our history. And, um, um, and, and yeah, we're going to be lucky to be a part of uh, all of that. There might not be an answer to this, and I've just thought of it, it's probably a mean question. Is there such a thing as... A cultural approach to transport or decolonized transport does that make sense is there such a thing it does yeah um, it's one of the things that's been exercising my mind quite a lot because we talk about this change from fossil fuels to to electric and it sounds all very nice and and clean and green and and um, um, you know bright and shiny but the reality is, uh, for a lot of New Zealand, the only form of cha- transport is a very cheap and sometimes not insured or warranted vehicle that they use to get the family anywhere and everywhere. It takes them to the supermarket, to the hospital, um, to school, um, to work if they're lucky enough. Um, and, um, you know, uh, it's not a $60,000 electric vehicle, uh, which is the cost of electric vehicles at the moment. And are they going to come down to the point where you can get an electric vehicle for only one or $2,000? It's going to take several 
as I say, iterations of change of ownership for that to happen. Um, and and I, I just, I, I do have this concern that through this change that is going to come upon us in the transport space, that there's a real risk of, of that disadvantaged sector of our community being disadvantaged once again. Um, and I, I don't have an answer for that, but it's, it's, um, it is something that sort of weighs on my mind. So I'm, I guess, along with a lot of others, trying to think about that and to see where there might be um, solutions. I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, well, personally... Um, two successes, I think. Um, uh, one of them was a, a medical one. I did weigh 155 kilograms uh, a year and a half ago, and I, I had a gastric bypass, and um, that was really, really successful. And uh, and I'm uh, down to 88 kg and feeling really a whole lot more healthier um, uh, and with a much better outlook on life than perhaps um, life offered me back then. So that was one. The, the other one has just been, I, I guess, um, in a, a growing appreciation and awareness that um, that we are a diverse community that essentially lives in two world views. That that um, uh, the our, our Western democratic Westminster form of government and worldview. Um, is just one, and it is so totally complete, uh, uh, completely different from Te Ao Māori, which, which is a, a totally different worldview, but one that's equally legitimate. Um, and, and, and that was a real sort of, um, I guess, eye-opener for me and, and a uh, um, you know, real sort of, um, um, uh, you know, scales dropping off your eyes when I had that sort of revelation. And, and um, you know, I, I think as a community, once we learn to understand that, and, and here in Whakatane, we've embraced as part of that understanding uh, the introduction of Māori wards, um, because what that does is say you do have a different worldview um, and we want to value it and incorporate it into our um, democratic structure. So... Um, I, I think, um, you know, that's been a, a personal uh, achievement for me. So, um, yeah, that would be the two, I'd say. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? <laughs> um, look, I think... Um, for a number of people, it doesn't seem to come across because they don't like what happens in the transport space. And sometimes it's that, you know, dot, dot, dot manager running the ship. He's, you know, not helping us along. But I, I do feel I have a genuine empathy for the community and for its well-being. And, and I, I, I try to let that, I guess, be what empowers me and, and what sort of drives me forward. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, um, no. When I think of activists, I think of um, uh, the likes of those, um, you know, really important people in our community like um, Kate Shepherd and Dame Fina Cooper and, uh, you know, they are the heroes that you can call activists. Um, I'm, I'm just a an enthusiastic member of our local community who wants to um, uh, do my share to uh, to contribute positively to it. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, knowing that I can affect change, that I'm fortunate enough to be in a position um, uh, that influences um, the direction in which our council might end up taking in the area of my expertise and the roading transportation space. It's encouraging and perhaps 
surprising. Maybe maybe it would be surprising to some people who would see that civil engineering as being about the roads, but you describe your superpower as empathy for the community and its well-being. You see a, a, a close link between those two things. Oh, oh definitely. Um, um, engineers, uh, I mean, we like building stuff, but we like building stuff for the benefit of the community. Um, and and so um, we, we are social beings uh, at our core. Um, as, as a sector and as an industry. So, yeah, we, we, we build the physical infrastructure, but behind it all is um, why we're doing it. We're doing it for the community and for the betterment of um, uh, betterment of society overall, yeah. What challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Oh, look... Uh, professionally, it's just um, trying to see more of these uh, opportunities for um, alternate modes of transport to be promoted and and um, and invested in uh, across the across the district, um, and and not only uh, in Fokatani, where of course you know you've got the most uh, population, so the focus tends to be there. But remembering that we've got a lot of remote rural communities out there. Um, who equally um, need to be given the opportunity to um, to benefit from um, active transport um, opportunities. And one of the things that we're thinking about in that space, for example, is, um, you know, what if we could have um, small minivans that are electrically operated, funded by who knows who, um, that could be a responsive on-demand service to into these rural communities um, that they just ring up and say we need this to go, you know, into town, um, and that we're able to supply that. So, um, uh, yeah, those those sort of things, uh, you know, sort of opportunities coming forward. And then um, I, I've also, as Mariwa um, mentioned, um, started up a small online business uh, looking at uh, importing um, a small sort of niche range of electric vehicles to demonstrate what other options there are out, out there for people to get themselves from A to B other than jumping in the car and uh, and sort of seeing where that goes. I'm going to enjoy, I think, um, promoting um, alternate modes of transport for the community to start thinking about. And lastly, and do you have any advice for our listeners? Um change is a good thing um, uh, particularly when the change is going to be beneficial for um, for our future generations and I, I, I think um, when we look to the things that we might be needing to embrace uh, in the transportation space over the next decade or two uh, we've got to be thinking ahead to um, our future generations and remember that uh, we might have to put up with a little bit of pain and angst um, for their future benefit. And, uh, you know, I've got uh, a beautiful little uh, granddaughter uh, who delights me every time I see her and another one uh, very close to being delivered. And, and they're always at the forefront of my mind uh, currently when I'm uh, thinking about uh, what can I do to um, leave this planet in a better space. Thank you for that. Moira. Martin, as a granddaughter who loved her granddad very much, um, your granddaughters are very lucky to have you, uh, not only just for the man that you are, but also for all the things that you do for the wider community. Um, I just wanted to say that listening to you talking about that recent decision uh, of the council for the establishment of Māori wards um, just made me feel so proud and really emotional because it was such a, um, a hard-fought battle to get that through and I really am blown away listening to your corridor around that, your insight into it and thank you for being one of those people who um, who could see where we were coming from and supported us. Thank you very, very much for all you do for our community. Kia ora. Kia ora. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us. Round, round, get around, I get around, yeah, get around, round, round, I get around, I get around, get around, round, round, I get around.
listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Beach Boys, I Get Around. I'm Timmerman and Soyuz Bay Dunedin with Mawira Karatai and Martin Taylor in Fokatani. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.